Hi, this is Vet Girl with Dr. Matt Winter from University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. And today he's going to be giving us some tips for identifying intestinal obstructions. Intestinal obstructions are one of those things that we're confronted with on a regular basis and are very challenging to diagnose. I'm not going to give you all the answers because if I had them, we wouldn't have to worry about this discussion, would we? But the truth is that we find them difficult to diagnose as well. And there are a few things that we use, a few tools that we use to help us make the diagnosis when we can on radiography. Probably the first thing is making sure you have two projections. It's very common in some practices for one projection to be the only image that's obtained, and it's usually the lateral projection. But in a lot of cases, it's important to have two for multiple reasons. One is triangulating the location of a potentially dilated intestinal segment. But another is there may have been some movement between images that may also alert you to the presence of a dilated intestinal segment. Certainly, we see a lot of animals that are obstructed and their intestines contain foreign bodies. Those are often easily identified and not all foreign bodies cause obstruction. So it's really difficult to figure out which ones are significant and which ones are not. The way we try to do that is figure out whether or not we have a dilated intestinal segment. And there are some criterion to use radiographically that will help us determine whether or not an intestinal segment is truly dilated. In dogs, we compare small intestinal segments to the height of the mid-body of L5 on a lateral projection. So if you have a suspicious segment, you should measure it using calipers or a ruler, depending upon what sort of imaging modality you have, and then compare it to the height of the mid-body of L5. In cats, we use another measurement. Rather than having a ratio to a vertebral body, we have an exact measurement because cats tend not to range in size as much as our canine friends do. So in cats, a normal small intestinal diameter would be 12 millimeters from serosa to serosa. Another thing to keep in mind is that there should be a uniform population of intestinal segments. And what I mean by that is there shouldn't be too many dramatic differences in intestinal diameters. So if you have some segment of bowel that looks a little bit big and the rest are very, very small, that one should be suspect. Whereas if they're all a little bit gas-filled, all look fairly uniform in diameter, but not distended, you may just have an animal who has mild gastroenteritis or maybe a little aerophagia. Remember, too, that not all dilated segments are gas-filled. It's very easy for us to identify gas-filled intestinal segments, but some of those that are dilated contain fluid only. Those can be a little bit more difficult to spot. It's also important to note that canine small intestinal segments tend to contain much more gas than our feline counterparts. The reason for that is dogs tend to be aerophagic. They sit around, they pant, they inhale a lot of air, and so a lot of their small intestinal segments contain air. In cats, that's not always the case. Cats tend not to pant, not to be very aerophagic, and therefore most of their small intestinal segments are fluid-filled. Another thing to consider is that not all segments represent small intestine. Remember, there's a colon in there, and sometimes it doesn't contain formed feces. It's important to remember that a gas-filled segment may represent colon rather than small intestine, and the colon can be much larger than a small intestinal segment, even in normalcy. One way to help be sure that you can identify colon rather than small intestine is to add gas to the colon. Performing a pneumocolon study is actually pretty easy. You can put a red rubber tube into the dog's rectum and add a little bit of air, somewhere between 2 to 5 mils per kilogram should be enough. 
And when you put that air in the colon and then retake some radiographs, you'll be able to then identify the gas-filled segment of the colon, and whatever remains should be small intestine. So in terms of in determining intestinal obstruction, then, it's important to identify two differing populations of small intestine and isolating the large intestine so as not to confuse it for a dilated small intestinal segment. A final piece is using repeat radiography to determine if there are any changes. If you have a patient where you suspect obstruction, but the animal is otherwise stable, repeat radiography in 6 to 12 hours or even 12 to 24 hours in a stable patient may allow you to identify changes in movements of fluid and gas or even a foreign body to determine whether or not an animal is truly obstructed or whether something is moving through the intestines, albeit slowly, especially with the aid of medical management. So in summary, it's important to know the parameters that we use for determining intestinal dilation and knowing that slightly larger intestinal segments may occur even in cases that don't represent mechanical obstruction. It's also important to understand the role of distribution and the fact that having two distinct populations of bowel, one abnormal, one normal, is highly suggestive of mechanical obstruction. And finally, it's important to use repeated radiographs, or even pneumocolon studies to help you identify changes in intestinal diameter and which parts represent colon versus small intestine.